Chug-a-lug, chug-a-lug Make you want to holler Howdy-ho From your friends at Tivoli Brewing Company and the Department of Communication, Arts, and Sciences at MSU Denver, this is Unfiltered. And here are your hosts, Jay Schrader and Dr. Samuel J. Me and him and this other fool decide that we'll drink up what's left. I'm Jay Schrader, Unfiltered. They know that. Here with my partner, Dr. Samuel J. We're at Black Shirt Brewing on Walnut Street, just south of 38th, mm-hmm. here in Rhino District of Denver, Colorado. Megan, is this technically Rhino? It is. Yes, it is. Okay. I yeah. didn't see a Rhino on the door or on the wall when I came in, actually. Do you guys not have one of those fancy... Stickers. Oh, the fancy Rhinos? Um, actually, ours got a little trashed. Someone trashed it, so we're getting a new one. Wait, what do you mean? Like, they just, like, ripped it off? Yes, it got stolen, actually. This is my kind of place. <laughs> um, I can tell you guys this story now, and I'm going to have to do it. Okay, please do. Old Chicago. Okay. Familiar? Like, circa 2003, there used to be a divey Old Seas in Golden that was, like, underground over by Applejack Liquor. Okay. And the bathroom signs on the doors at the time were guys or girls crossing their legs and holding their junk because they had to pee okay i have one of those in my bedroom so you're the guy that would have stolen the rhino sign actually well yeah 20 years ago i would have stolen the rhino sign i'm sorry that i brought this kind of you know person into your facility yeah that's okay okay so we've talked to david yeah i'm sorry so we're going to introduce david now david real quick tell us who you are uh hey my name's david sikolsky i've been brewing for the last nine years or so and just recently came out to denver uh early november and started up here with black shirt and megan who are you i'm megan Howes. i'm the director of communications here at black shirt thank you yeah and david is head brewer is that correct david correct correct okay so you just started here david right um megan how long have you been here since may of last year okay all right and what i guess we might as well start with the hard question. The last 10 months, eight months, what are the changes you've seen, not just necessarily with um, you know, your particular brewery, but where we are in town, competition, the market, what, what's noticeable? It's an incredibly intense market, actually, but it's a really robust market as well. Um, we are just filthy rich in this city when it comes to beer. Um, and so I think one of the things we're seeing more and maybe I wouldn't necessarily call it a trend but I think people are looking for that one stop um, I wouldn't say one stop shopping but a place that they can go have a really great handmade craft beer and also get some food and perhaps having have you know play trivia or enjoy a comedy show or some live music so they want that whole package as opposed to just going into a tap room and having a beer how long have you been here? Like, how long has Blackshirt been at this location? Did it start here? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, we've, we opened in 2012, so we've been here a little over six years. Um, and when we opened this place, there really wasn't anything around. We were very much on the edge of the Rhino Art, Rhino Art District. Um, Was it actually called the Rhino Arts District in 2012? In, Do you in know? In 2012, that's a great question. I don't know if that moniker had been attached to this area yet or not. I don't think so. Yeah, I would go out on I'd have a to go back and look at that history. I'm not, I don't want to make a yeah, definitive yeah. statement. But the good news is nothing about this is... Uh, 
we're not going to be held accountable for anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, taxi, right? The t- what is, it? is that called? The taxi. Taxi was yeah, was here, but I don't think it was. Right. I don't think it was Rhino yet, technically. Right. You guys yeah. were ahead of the curve. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were definitely in terms of this area. There was only one other brewery that had opened, which was River North. Oh. And on our heels, right after us, was uh, our mutual friend. No. Okay. Yeah. So. And then. Oh no! I was going to say, and then you know, suddenly. It blew up, and you're I don't not know, the only some game people in town. know, and some people don't, that the Rhino Art District is the um, largest producer of craft beverages in this concentrated area in the country. That okay, that makes sense. I mean, what, okay, if we go down the street, we have what ratios there. We have you've got ratio, you've got OMF, you, and then you have distilleries as well. But you've got the new Odell Rhino Brew House. Um, you've got block distilling, and then you have to understand too that Rhino is divided in basically they, they now call it East and West. Oh. So you've got the West Side, which is on Brighton Boulevard, and that includes everything from the Great Divide Barrel Bar to Mockery Brewing. Um, and so there's a fair amount of stuff over on that side as well. And then on this side is where you're going to have that concentration on Larimer and Blake and Lawrence and all of the businesses that are up and down there. Now, I know, you, I know we want to talk to David and talk about, you know, the, the, next, the next moment. But I got to ask you, um, how long have you been serving food here? Since, since day one? Uh, no, not since day one. We put the kitchen in um, about, at this point, it's like almost two, it'll be two years in April. Um, and that was a really, a, again, a conscious decision on, on our part to really, I mean, in part we were responding to customers and what they wanted. Um, and we recognized that we, you know, people would come in and they'd be really enjoying our beer, but it got to the point where they needed food. Um, and so we decided to, and we, we did have food trucks for a while, but food trucks can be. A little bit. It, it depends. I mean, there's Flaky. some really, yeah, they, there's some awesome food trucks out there and some great purveyor, purveyors. But for the most part, we were struggling with consistency, with scheduling, um, and we just decided that it would be better for us to be able to control our product, quite frankly, um, and, and try and make it equal in quality to the beer that we were putting out. Um, and I think we've accomplished that. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we just had the uh, what were they called? The, the I didn't order them. I only got the two bread. bites. Sam destroyed them. The, yeah, yeah, garlic knots. Yep, amazing. I, I can also attest to the fact that I've seen at least two different people walk out of here without even having a beer with pizzas. With, with pizzas, yeah. So okay, so that makes sense. Okay, so you, so you do this um, before we go back over there because I know you want, we want to go there. Brand, all right. You're the director of communications here. So what is if you could define it in a paragraph or two? What's the the BSB brand? You know, generally speaking, I mean, I would say that for us, um, one of the most important aspects of, of what we try to do is we create an elevated experience. And so we try and reflect that in our brand as best as we can. I would say, you know, there's a real DIY mentality to this place. Um, the owners built everything in here. Um, I mean, everything from digging the lines for the tanks to all of these tables that you see to the bar. Everything was, there was no outer, outside investment. Um, it was all blood, sweat, and tears. I think that that resonates with people. And so our brand is very much around kind of a, a non-conformist. Johnny Cash is essentially like the patron saint of Black Shirt. Um, and we 
we take a cue from him in terms of just not always wanting to go with the flow and we want to go against the grain a little bit. We want to be that distinctiveness, I think, is that we're not a slick brewery. Um, we don't try to be, we don't try to put ourselves out there in such a way that um, basically pigeonholes us. Um, you know, we opened as the Red Ale Project and we dug very deep into that style and I think people really responded to that because they recognized how unique it was to be able to walk into a brewery and try, say, a flight and you would get everything from a Kolsch to a porter or a stout and you, could, and you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, wow, you know, these are all made with the same grain bill. Um, but they were for the most part. So... I would say we've been thinking about this a lot in terms of identity and um, and how you really um, articulate the DIY ethos, um, what that really looks like, and how you write about it, how you speak about it, and we're kind of we're still working on that. But I would say that's a big part of what we do is kind of I don't want to say it's anti-establishment because that's not what, where we're really coming from, but it is very much a a bootstrap. Um, uh, rough-hewn DIY uh, what else would you say David in terms of the brand Jeez, I think you pretty much covered it we like you said we've been in talks kind of trying to figure out a lot of direction for branding lately mm -hmm. um, so we've been kind of going over a lot of these details and just trying to figure out you know what works and what doesn't and how we can convey these things to people um, but obviously at the end of the day product and experience is king and we just hope people come in, have a good time, and like what they have. You, I mean, I guess, I guess when I think about BSB as an outsider, right, as an amateur, um, I would think you're one of the more the more successful kind of micro brews in town, right? Craft craft brewers, I can get it down by my house in, in DTC or Greenwood Village, right? You're, you're you're you have a consistency to your brand that I think a lot of folks struggle with, quite honestly. And so props to you for that. I think, I think in terms of the aesthetic, it's there. Um, I saw the Johnny Cash thing when I came in and it just clicked. I was like, okay, that's, that, that makes total sense. Um, I was, for some reason, expecting more Nebraska stuff as the black shirts. So I'm really happy. Uh, I'm really happy we didn't have that. No, I'm an Iowa grad. So this is, I'm very happy about that. But um, props to you also, uh, uh, Megan, for kind of continuing this because I think you know, uh, we talked earlier, the competition of this marketplace um, is only getting more significant now that we can sell beer in, in grocery stores. And I think BSB, at least as a consumer, has a, a, a strong foothold, right? It may be a small foothold, but it's a strong foothold. And so um, good work with that, for sure. I appreciate that. Now, did you want to talk to the brewer? I, I, I want to talk to everybody. That's yes. part of the problem here. Um, a better speaker than I, am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, Megan pointed out that uh, you guys are a very DIY, bootstrap-type brewery, and I think I, I want to go back to what David said early on before we formally introduced everybody, and that was that really your roots in brewing don't come from anything other than phot photography and, and being involved in the brewery scene out east, but then you basically taught yourself at home and then became an apprentice is that right yeah it was just doing a lot of home brewing and essentially the apprenticeships for most of the time in both of them uh i was essentially working for gas money and ingredients and i would just make beer and come back and get critiques and tear it apart and see how we could make it better 
Who is drinking your beer? I want to know who, what sad friends had, <laughs> had to drink that. All, all the sad friends. Um, <laughs> it was at, at first when it was just homebrew. It was you know it was just local people and friends and family and just getting an idea for the different palettes that are out there. Um, but I was you know really really lucky in my apprenticeship in Hill Farmstead and timing wise alone I met a tremendous amount of people out there. Everyone from Jakobsen from Crooked Stave to McKellar. Um, and you know, I, McKellar actually tried my very first commercial beer, um, which was amazing uh, and a super geeky out moment for me. Um, but yeah, it's just been you know just trying to make things better every single day. What was the first good beer that you made, and you were like, okay, I can do this professionally? Um, honestly, I think that would probably. So there was a certain porter that I did that was a little wacky, but I mean, you know, homebrewers. Um, so it was a New Zealand style porter. So it was an English porter with New Zealand hops, um, but it also had a lemon lime edition. This is just around the time when Sean was playing with what he called ICUs, which are international citrus units. Um, and essentially we were trying to kind of measure scales for that and for that kind of flavor profile. Um, we found there's a lot more variables involved than strictly citric um, components, but it's been, it's been really interesting just to toy with. And, and see what we could do. But I think that beer in particular was the one that when I brought that around to people, it, it was one that on paper, it doesn't seem like it would meld nearly as well as it did in the bottle. Um, and it was just one of those beers that came out really, really well. And everyone I was talking to was, you know, at that point, whenever you're handing people beer as a home brewer, they're like, oh, so you're gonna open your own brewery. And you're like, yeah, that's the dream because <laughs> it's the same thing like people with records. It's like, oh, you're a DJ, you're gonna open up your own label. It's like, well, no, I'm, most people are happy with doing what they're doing. It doesn't always have to get bigger. Um, and then sure enough, you know, here I am. <laughs> How did that happen, might I ask? I mean, if, if, if Megan wants to answer, or you wanna answer, I just, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, how did you guys, Megan, how did you guys find David? I mean, East Coast, New Hampshire, it's like the other side of the moon. Yeah, I mean, it really just came down to I saw that Chad had made a post, and I reached out. Um, at that point, I was kind of coming off my hiatus, so I was looking at work globally, worldwide. I was looking in Vietnam. I was looking in India. I was looking in Australia. Um, I actually had two prospects in Australia, one on either side of the country, and unfortunately, both of them were not able to... Uh, helped me get my immigration status worked out there. Uh, so I learned a lot about just being a citizen of the world and kind of what that takes, which is a lot more paperwork and back and forth with lawyers than I ever could have imagined. Um, it's been interesting. Yeah, but you managed to get your green card for Denver, which is actually pretty hard to do these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, you found a place to live that you could afford. Yeah, yeah. Tell, us a, bit, tell us a bit about that, because we know a couple of people that have moved out of state that are never coming back to Denver again, at least uh, under the guise of homeownership. So wh wh what was the transition from New Hampshire to Denver like? So I got incredibly lucky. I have an amazing family friend out here. His name is Christian Chiari. He actually runs the Patterson Inn. I'm going to give him a little bump because that inn is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen it or not. It's a goddamn castle. Okay. Okay. Where, where tell, is yeah, tell us inn? more. Oh, jeez. I'm going to have to look up the address. And, there, Pat and you Patterson. guys need to sell advertising. Like, yeah. We need <laughs> Patterson Inn. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to dig into this yeah, for folks. Yeah. Anyway, Next episode. Uh, an amazing family friend of mine. Um, he and my dad go way back. Um, and unfortunately, my dad passed. Uh, two years ago 
Um, and Chris has been really, really good at kind of helping me get my feet under me again and, and get everything situated again in life in general. So he was very kind and offered me a place to stay for the first few months while I get settled out here. So I'm going to be making that transition into apartments uh, sooner than later. So we'll, we'll have to see how well that all goes. But I was lucky enough to get out here and have that opportunity. And that, that made this decision a lot easier. I think as soon as that was settled, um, I pretty much called Chad back and we talked briefly and I was like, cool, I'm going to hop in the car and I will see you next week. So this is a unique opportunity for Jay and I to ask these kind of fun questions for somebody um, that we would often wouldn't kind of run into, especially in brewing. So as a young brewer, at what point in this process do you start going, okay, right, I'm going to start influencing the brand, right, or the brewery and kind of molding it a little bit towards what you want, not massive changes, right? But are you doing it through one or two different brews? Are you doing that kind of like, you know, as well as you can, you know, how are you making these decisions in your head? I have been extremely fortunate and extremely spoiled in the fact that I have been lucky enough to, at every commercial position I have held in this industry, I've had 100% creative control. Nice, okay. And not only that, but coming from an art and advertising background, I tend to throw my hands into those rings as well, as Mm -hmm. far as bottle labels and branding and just conveyance and Mm -hmm. and how we can, you know, just, again, make a nicer product and a nicer experience for people. That's really all it comes down to. So, Megan, I'm going to ask you, as a person on the hiring side... Is there success in that? Like, is that is that a, is that a choice where um, you know the executives at a brewery go, okay, brewery go, okay, we're going to give this person kind of free reign, and is there data or are there are there anecdotes to kind of prove that long term that works out? Or you don't know, or is that a conscious decision? I suppose that somebody makes in the hiring of a brewer. I think it is a conscious decision that somebody makes. Um, I think the most in in my experience as a consumer. And less about less as somebody who's working for the brewery, but as a consumer, uh, and and as somebody who knows a lot of brewers, um, I think one of the worst things you can do is really hogtie a brewer um, and get them into a situation where, say, they're they're in a production situation where they have to they have to produce a certain amount in order to can a certain amount or in order to you know package what they need to package to get it out into the market, and that sometimes. You know, as breweries grow and people get to know those beers and, and respond to those beers, um, it's a good thing because then, you know, you're selling a lot of that beer, but then you're having to pump out that beer over and over and over again. And that can be really limiting. And so that creative freedom, I think, is because there's no, let's face it, you know, there's no money in brewing. It's just the way it is. There's not a lot of money. You know, brewers don't make a whole lot of money. They they do this because they're passionate about it and because it's an art form and they love to do it. Um, but if they lose that creative freedom, that I, I feel like oftentimes that's when things start to really flag. Makes sense. Yeah. We've talked about art, right? Uh, you, Dave, David comes from an art background. Megan just called brewing an, an art, right? David, tell me a little bit about what's your first impressions now. You've been here almost two months, it sounds like. What are your first impressions or what are your thoughts on Rhino, which we've already talked a little bit about, and, and overall, not, not just beer, but the overall Denver art scene or, or what you're experiencing here in Rhino specifically outside of Black Shirt? Yeah, so, I mean, so far, I, I haven't explored nearly as much as I would like to, but I'm definitely making plans also for things like the, um, oh, there's a contemporary art museum right down the road that I've been meaning to go to. Yeah, the MCA is amazing. 
and just in general i i've always had an appreciation um just for art so coming to this kind of district is is really nice um the just the art on the side of the wall uh, outside i don't know if you guys saw that but like just the wall murals and everything else it's it's wonderful to be in that kind of environment where art is thriving in literally every corner um, and also, again, coming from an art school background, I can totally appreciate that. So I got to, okay, I'm going to jump in. I got to ask, um, knowing that you have that art background, like, what is your process, um, you know, your creative process for, for brewing beer? Because I think, um, you know, Megan's right. that it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a career of passion, right? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's something, you're right. Like, nobody's in it to make money. We've definitely learned that thus far. But there is so much creativity that you can see in it, right? So what is your process? Well, and, and I just want to point out, too. I, I, everybody we've talked to over the last month or so has really spoken to the science of this. So we haven't heard from an artist yet. It's all about the math or the chemistry. And I mean, that's a huge part of it, obviously. But there's also that X factor to anything that I think comes from an art background, no matter who the person or the industry, where, you know, people will put any kind of artistic spin on things that lets them express themselves a little bit. And it's the same with brewing. Um, you know, and that's another reason why, again, I've been very, very lucky in having creative control in my positions because I've been able to literally use this as self-expression, uh, which has been nothing short of fucking beautiful. Uh, I love it. Tell me uh, what was artistic or what was the expression coming through the ghost that I'm having right now? Uh, so the Goza is actually built off a of bacterial culture that I've been building for the last six years, give or take. More science. Yeah, unfortunately, but this gets a, a little interesting. I don't want to go too far into it, um, but essentially we're picking up a lot of sources from things that people would not expect to be used. Um, it's all a matter of bringing in nuance and subtlety and appreciable flavors, and I think that's a big factor in that that gets overwritten on so many quick turnaround sour beers, whether they're kettle sour or blended or whatever. And you just have a lot of these very singular profiles and singular acid profiles. And um, I, I tend to drink a lot of uh, Madeira and dessert wines. Um, and a lot of those are all about balancing your acidity and your sweetness and trying to get more depth to both of those rather than having it just be sweet and tart. Um, so yeah, so with this culture, I think we're able to do that. We're able to get a lot of really nice flavor development that most people are not getting in these kind of beers. Um, again, I'm being a little biased, so I'll, I'll leave that for consumers to decide, but I'll make that statement. No, I mean, it's, go ahead. Sorry, oh, sorry. I was going to say, Can so I what I'm, that actually? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, you cannot. This backwash. Uh, so what I'm hearing really is that all those other brewers out here in Denver that are making a Gosa right now, um, you guys are screwed because yeah. David is doing something that nobody else wow. nobody else knows what's going on in here. It's just a difference in, in procedure, no different than a, a brewer that uses a yeast strain that's different than another. We're just using a bacterial blend that unfortunately is not commercially available. Um, so it's not just a straight lacto-D pitch or a lacto-brevis. There's a lot more going on in this culture from a strain perspective. Uh, we haven't had it sequenced. There are at least 20-some-odd strains in the blend. There are only about six that we're using for proper primary flavor development. How'd you get it out here? Did you bring it like in a suitcase? I've been building. What? I've been building. It's on a slant. I don't, so the, the tricky word. part is wow. with slants and with this kind of setup with a blend, you can't really 
remaking that blend is very difficult. Like knowing how much of each bacteria needs to go in there so that when they're grown large enough to do the fermentation, yeah. everything is still in balance. So that's where the tricky part comes. And that's where we get more into the kind of science end of things. But whenever you're dealing with anything on such a small scale, when you're going, you know, molecularly or, or you know, uh, looking at on a scale of atoms, it's you can you can find so much little beauty in every goddamn corner. You can tell and you're excited about it. Yeah, I, mean, this I love really, this yeah. shit, man. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is, this that's is. why I, I went back to it. You know, I, like I said, I, I took a small hiatus and I really reassessed life and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And when this opportunity came up and when I was chatting with Chad, uh, the owner here, uh, we just really saw eye to eye on a lot of the kind of philosophy that we have about the industry. And, and I think that was wonderful. Um, and we've been able to work and continue that. And, and hopefully as things progress here, we'll be seeing a, a lot more variance in the tap list, but also everything having its own place. Like I want you to be able to come into the tap list and if you wanted to get a sample of everything we had on tap, you could do that and every single thing would be unique enough in its yeah. own right that you wouldn't be like, oh, I taste mosaic in three of those beers because right. five of them are IPAs. Yeah. You know, IPAs totally have their place and they're wonderful fucking beers, but I do not think they need to be the entirety of a tap list anywhere, um, especially not in a place like... Uh, Forgive me because I'm going to bounce a little bit, but this is kind of going back to what Megan was saying earlier with kind of production breweries versus brew pubs. Mm -hmm. And we're allowed to kind of have this level of freedom because we're more a brew pub than a production brewery. Okay. If we were a larger scale production brewery, the nature of the beast is to be hamstringed by your production schedules. It's to be making those products again and again consistently. Um, not that consistency isn't something we're looking for here. Obviously it is, but we also want that variance. We want that widespread. We want to be able to work with local ingredients when they pop up, not be like, oh, well, we couldn't get 30,000 pounds, so I guess we're not making that beer. So is that, a, is that when, you, when you took this job, was that a thought? You're like, okay, I want to be able to just kind of experiment. You liked BSB as that kind of facility where you could just kind of, you know, have some well, fun. Okay. Not, it's fine. You know, I mean, again, it's, it's all beer is experimentation for me right. and always kind of has been. And okay. again, with the creative control, it's been something that I can just play with and kind of shift around as needed. And that's been wonderful. I wouldn't say that was necessarily the goal here. But that was something that as I talked more and more with Chad, we both agreed that kind of the things that I wanted to do here were the changes that he wanted to make. Okay. So our visions lined up really, really well. So things like this goes, uh, this is a beer that I've been brewing for most of my, my commercial, uh, my, my career. Um, and the same with the Shadow Tackle. That is a porter that I literally have been making since five gallon scale mm -hmm. for the last 10 years. Um, and it's just stuff that we've been dialing every single time. Um, I'm going to, one of the mentalities that I really like to carry is that if someone's coming in every day, they shouldn't be able to taste the difference between the beer on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. But if someone comes in once on a January and then comes in the following January and hasn't been here in a year, I want them to think that beer is exponentially better. Okay. So the trick is to make those small changes through consistency, but just one little change at a time. Mm -hmm. So you're making those tweaks. So day-to-day, -day, people aren't seeing the difference. But when they come back to it or they go somewhere else and then come back here, the difference is noticeable. God, you love this stuff, man. This shit is exciting for him. Yeah, is, yeah. Wow. And we, we moved away from good art for you. pretty fast, I'd say, too, frankly. But that's okay. Now, the thing I'm hearing, too, first of all, all you cowboys in town for the stock show, whatever you like tonight is going to be 100% better in a year. In a year, yeah. The second thing, and this is killing me, I got to ask it. 
have a business background, which means nothing to anybody. But um, I've I've hired and, for lack of a better word, fired my fair share of folks, and I've interviewed and, and hired a couple people cross country. You've talked about Chad and your discussions a lot, but had Chad ever tasted any of your fucking beer? So I actually, when I came out here for the interview, I bef- two days before I flew out, I shipped Chad a case of beer of previous things that I had been working on and that I was proud of. A lot of them were shelf-stable things, uh, bottle-conditioned beers, but they were pushing over a year and a half in the bottle. So they may not have been the greatest uh, <laughs> uh, kind of showcase, but they, they were what I currently had to work with. That's an interesting point, too. Yeah. I mean, uh, a brewer is only as good as their best beer or their last beer, probably even more, right? How do you, as a career brewer now going on 10 years, what's your portfolio look like? Or how do you create a, um, a sample? I mean, especially if you sent a case to Chad... What happened to the rest of it? Is it gone? Is that it? I think we still got some of it here, um, but it was just I, I, stuff I had held back from previous positions, just things I wanted to see how they would age out, and I'm glad I did. And I actually um, I reached out to my friends on Facebook and whatnot uh, when this kind of interview became an option um, and literally was like, if anybody has any backstock of my old bottles, please let me know. If you have extras, I would be happy to buy them off you. If you have one of something, please do not offer it. I hope you enjoy it. That's amazing. I, it, I'm starting to think about all the brewers and breweries we've been into, talked to and been into that um, some of these guys must be hoarding just tons of beer mm-hmm. that they're not yeah. telling us about. And, and if you're not as a brewer, it sounds like you should be. Well, if you think about the free beer they give to us when we go on these recordings, there's, there's just beer everywhere. As far as I can tell, if they're giving away the beer to us, there's not anything left to hide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, large-scale breweries have, you know, hot rooms and stuff where they can they can warm age product to kind of see it at its worst we don't have that ability so being a small brewer in general i'll just grab a case of something and kind of hang tight on it and maybe once every two months crack a bottle or so okay um we're not done yet because i need megan to put that camera down yeah megan's megan's taking on the role of communications director she's doing an amazing job trying to okay i took an interviewing class when i was an undergrad in journalism so i'm going to try to figure out if i can you know ask the tough question um i touched upon it earlier we can now buy beer in the grocery store and believe it or not consumers notice it this is a thing for us by the way we've been worried about it how does that issue get breached in business meetings in your weekly meetings uh, you know with with you know, folks who run this place, what's, what's going on? Can you provide any insight into how a brewery of your size is dealing with these changes? Well, we deal with these changes, to be quite honest, by not distributing our beer in the same way that we used to. Um, and that was, a, that was a conscious decision on numerous fronts. But, um, you know, we really want to concentrate on hyper-fresh, high-quality elegant compelling beer that is our goal and some would say that you can't necessarily do that when you're producing a ton of beer all the time and canning your beer and packaging your beer i don't necessarily think that's true um but at the same time there's something to be said for that relentless pursuit of quality um and i again i don't want to come across as you know if you are packaging somehow your quality is less because i don't believe that that's necessarily true um but we just decided to go in the direction of really wanting our guests to experience 
the whole of black shirt, not just the beer is obviously the center piece, but we have, you know, coming off of that or, or radiating out from that is what we offer in terms of food, the customer experience that we offer, the musical program that we have, um, our desire to be an active um, and integral part of this community. So there are things that we chose to concentrate on. Um, and we obviously, many of us saw that train coming, you know, we knew that those changes were coming down the pike and that it was going to be a real disruptor, um, in a lot of ways. And, you know, I'm on a lot of beer groups and I hear chatter a lot and it's been fascinating to watch that and to see this bill come in, come finally to fruition and to see these things happening and, you know, some people believe it is, it really does, it's the death knell of the mom and pop liquor store. Um, you know, there's a lot, some people think it's really great because it's free market and, you know, let these people have choice and convenience. And, and I think we have a lot still to figure out and to see how this all pans out. I mean, Colorado, this is a big experiment for us. Other states obviously have done it. And you hear from those folks who are like, oh, you know, I live in X state and we've had that forever. And it certainly hasn't affected those specialty liquor stores who are targeting those co consumers that really want well curated selection. Um, and so I think it's in some ways it's making those business owners maybe rethink their approach and wh how they serve their customer base. Um, so you might have to be a little bit more nimble than you were in the past. And that's not a bad thing either. I, mean, I think that's a, that's a good thing. What, what you just pointed out is something that um, Jay and I were talking before the interview because there was, um, we're trying to figure out the connection between a tap house and then brand uh, uh, connection, right? So like if you have a good tap house, is that going to improve the chances that somebody buys your beer on the shelf? And the fact that you pointed out that that's a major part of it, um, that's, you know, according to the data, a good thing. I think, I think it was like 7 8% chance that somebody's going to, which can be a significant boost, right? If somebody goes to a liquor store and, and to buy your beer or a grocery store, like that, that's pretty impressive. And so um, maybe that's the next move, right, is actually having these tap houses that are inviting and warm and they're family friendly and they have good food and all of this stuff. It'll be anxious to see you, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. There, I think, go ahead. No, I was going to say there's a direct correlation, though, to the quality of the beer, too, because there are some great tap rooms. I think we've said this maybe on every episode. There's some great tap rooms. There's some great places you can go and sample beer that's made on the spot. And the beer's just not good enough to buy in the liquor store. And I, I've looked at it. I've seen it. I've, there's a face that stares back at me every time. And I have a great relationship with the brewers and the people that work there. But I wouldn't buy their beer in a liquor store to save my life. So as we wrap this up, I'm going to say one last thing right, to, to, for this place. Um, I had one of my good buddies here two years ago, Chris, Chris Snyder, who's an avid beer drinker, drinks, you know, way better beer than I, you know, he kind of introduced me to all of this. And uh, he knew of you. He's from, Chris is from some, uh, Springfield, Missouri, St. Louis now. But um, we went to the liquor store and bought uh, BSB. I bought the Frontman IPA. And that was my first foray into what you do. And still one of my favorite beers, quite honestly. It was fresh. It was wonderful, and it's nice to come in here and talk to you two and kind of see that no matter what's changing in terms of the city and the industry and all of this and the you know, laws, that you're still committed to making good beer and especially bringing you know, David on board. It's clear that whatever you do next is going to be very experimental and fun and probably fruitful, quite honestly, you know, to kind of have this, uh, how do you say it, ghost, ghost? I say it wrong. I think it's just Gosa. Ghost? Uh, but I, I'm not exactly the most worldly traveler. That is a good beer. It's wow. really good. It's really good. 
the big inspiration on that is Moroccan lemons. Um, so if you've ah. ever had salt-preserved lemons. Uh, I have not. I'm from Iowa. I don't even know what that means. They're delightful. Okay. Um, have you had salt-preserved pig of uh, any kind? No. 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 Salt-preserved lemons. Uh, we got to find these. Okay. Yeah, Moroccan lemons. It's just an old preservation technique, but it, it really brings... It's this slight savory end, but there's just a lot more depth to the flavor. It's like uh, kind of like the equivalent of grilling citrus in a way. Oh, okay. Like that's the level of depth that you kind of gain um, yeah. by that kind that. of preservation method. So that was the big inspiration behind this. But even on the tasting notes, I mean, Moroccan lemons, uh, orange popsicles and grilled limes and a little bit of grapefruit juice is pretty much the entirety of this profile as far as I'm concerned. Damn, he nailed it. He that's, did. I mean, that's insane. He did. Now, I, I feel like we have to uncover a whole other conversation. We're not going to do it tonight. But ICUs, I don't think Sam was even paying attention, which is not true because he pays attention in all our interviews. Yeah. But we get distracted. I, international citric units, which we talk about IBUs all the time. We don't have to dig into this now, no, I mean, but we'll come around. The long and short of it was it was something that uh, Sean Hill was doing at the time uh, as a way to kind of showcase to the consumer the level of citrus quality like if we wanted something that had like a tea like lemon aspect yeah. to it versus something that drank like straight orange juice uh -huh. like those types of differentiations ah, um nice. and that was kind of his way of explaining it it kind of came and went it didn't really catch on uh, I like outside. it. I like a nice measurement for but that. But yeah, yeah. It, just as another bit of information, I feel honestly, I think ICUs are more accurate than IBUs just yeah. because of the different scales people use. So if I don't know what scale you're using, your IBU measurements mean next to nothing to me. I'm surprised they didn't take off though. Like in today's, you know, I'm surprised too. And yeah. I mean, I I pushed them for a little bit. I would talk about them when we would talk about doing citrus beers and stuff when I was just starting out professionally because mm -hmm. um, I thought it was great, but it just unfortunately didn't really take off. But yeah, David's fine. a sly guy. You don't know it looking at him, but there's a lot of citrus hiding in all these beers, I imagine. This dude is smart as fuck, right? Like, quite honestly. Wait, are we talking about David? Not or you. Oh, Not yeah. you. Okay, just making sure. This guy. David, you are no, smart yeah. as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. AF. <laughs> smart AF. Hashtag smart AF. Okay, you two, thank you so much. That was yeah, wonderful. Thank you. thank you for letting you guys, us in I here. I appreciate it. No, that was a blast. Uh, folks, okay, so address real quick. Megan, what is the address so that way people know where to come? 3719 Walnut Street. Denver, Colorado, USA, for all of our people in Morocco who love salted lemons. Yeah. And yeah. yeah this, and is, this is where we come. Be sure to check the traffic before you come out here. Not because I want to discourage you from joining them, but there's ways to sneak in. But also buy the beer in the liquor store, right? I mean, where are you? You're kind of... No, they're not in the liquor no, store. Oh, sorry. Not anymore? When did that stop? We stopped distributing our cans probably about... Three months ago. Yeah, well, we're ago. taking some out of here with us. So what? Okay, so what? Uh, what bars can we get your stuff? Oh, that's a great question. Um, we have a select amount. I wish I had my sales guy here with me. Um, we we tend to we do a few restaurants. We've been at the Plymouth for a long time. We're at To the Wind. We're at Avelina. Um, Just parts of town. Anything down south or in Littleton area? can't answer that question. All of these restaurants, by the way, are further proof that um, Sam and I clearly spend all of our free time in bars and not taking our wives out to restaurants. <laughs> no, I feel like, it, are you in Chili's? Like <laughs> 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 okay, if I could, I wanted to say one more thing around the brand because I've been thinking about that question. Um, and one of the things that I think Black Shirt does, which is a great differentiator, but also very unique to us. And this, again, I, I noted this when I was a consumer. I mean, I was... I literally started 
pounding on this these guys' doors two years before they opened because I lived less than a mile from the brewery, and um, they became my hangout. And and they not only did they serve really excellent beer, but they tried to provide. And this is that DIY. This is that balance that we try and maintain between having a comfortable, welcoming, warm environment with great customer service and offering a little bit more of that elevated experience. So everything from, you know, we have table service, which doesn't happen in a lot of breweries. Um, I did notice that actually, which is awesome. We have, I mean, and the little touches, you get a glass of ice water when you sit down. There's hand towels in the bathroom, though we have now hand towels in a and an actual air dryer. Um, it is Denver. Yes, green, it is Denver. green, baby. Exactly. Um, but even, I mean, people would notice those things. Uh, and when we first opened, um, we had a special glass that we served our beer in, um, which ended up being just a little bit too difficult for us to do, quite frankly. And, and those were received, we had mixed reception to those. They were called those pharaohs, and they had a slant on them. And they were designed so that you could really get the full nose of that beer when you put it up to your face, uh, to your mouth. Is that the design being that, that your nose actually went into the glass so you could Pretty, yes, inhale exactly. the aroma? It was, this, yeah. it was almost as if you cut this part yep. out of it. There's this. a specific wine glass that's designed to do the same thing, correct? Yes. We're going to go to the resident wine expert, the Madeira guy. <laughs> what's what's the name of that glass, David? I honestly do not know. I, I wish I did. I'm losing credibility by the second. <laughs> no, 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 no. I do that for you. Don't worry about it. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Oh, one, one tiny thing, just because yeah, I got go the ahead. address now, but I did want to just give a bump to my buddy Chris's uh, wonderful Patterson Inn. There we go. Uh, if you're a near or you want to visit Denver, 420 East 11th Avenue. And it's the Patterson Inn. If you appreciate architecture and amazing historical woodwork, you will appreciate this place. There we go. There we go. And I'm going to shout out. Cap Hill, right? Yep. Real quick. Okay. People who, who follow Jay and I on social, who follow me on my business on, on, on social media, Megan's sitting here taking pictures. She gets it, right? Content oh. producer right there. That You figured it out. Director of communications you know what you're doing right like just get that shit out there great in here unfortunately yeah it's okay people just want to see it right i look better in the dark don't worry (laughs) all right you two thank you so much it was wonderful that was actually you guys were awesome yeah that was perfect all right um yeah thanks jay thank you sam see ya doctor chug a lug chug a lug make you want to holler hi the hope